Welcome to Potadelphia. My name is Dave Diorio. You can find me on Twitter at fat underscore lobster. And I'm joined by two guys. So this podcast is already more crowded than a Trump rally. What's up, Chuck and Gene? <laughs> Whoa, going overtly political. Like, we're not even pretending like we're not biased on this show. I mean, with Gene on it, you know, as a representative of the proud state of Delaware, we had to know, everyone had to know we were pro-Biden. With Dr. Jill Biden and her fandom for the Flyers, like, he's just the hometown guy and we cheer for the hometown team uh if you want to watch us cheer for the hometown team uh you can follow us on twitter at potadelphia you can follow me at chuck siders listen uh joe biden if you watched the uh anything with from the obama era everyone knows that he's not from delaware and he's from scranton first of all uh and second of all really i'm a jill biden fan and have been for a long long time um so that's about all the politics i'm going to be willing to put on tape this is uh gene zilek <laughs> and you will find me at producer gene be thankful i didn't have my phone near me because man i would have gone on a twitter rampage tonight <laughs> well um tur turn down the k-pop and uh turn up the potadelphia um because we are going to be talking about the 1998 home run chase as we all did our homework and watched ESPN's 30 for 30 long gone summer. And before we get into that, uh, happy father's day, uh, to all the dads out there. Uh, hope you had a great, a great father's day. Although the, uh, the golf was delayed and you didn't quite get us open, uh, this afternoon, uh, or baseball to watch, but, you got some uh you got some EPL and uh some late weather delayed golf tournament action. So I hope everyone had a good a good Father's Day. Go ahead. Isn't it also the ESPYs tonight? Did I see that? Or something's uh, going on with the ESPYs? Uh that's I bullshit. mean that's a bullshit program. I don't I don't watch that. <laughs> yeah, I don't. But I it came across and I'm like, oh the ESPYs. Like, isn't that like the the bastion of entertainment when there's that one day lull around the all-star uh, break. And oh, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, now, when you're in a three-going-on-four-month lull, <laughs> like, the SBs are even more pointless. Well, it'd be well, like more giving, important, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it'd be like giving an Oscar for a movie, you know, if they give it to any basketball players or hockey players, it'd be like, what, you know, I watched three-quarters of that movie. I feel like we should give that movie an Oscar. <laughs> I watched <laughs> I watched most of 1917. Let's give that an Oscar. But maybe this is the I year. Think that like happened. The, maybe this is the year the American Cornhole League players really have a chance to break through. Hey, I watched a lot of Slam Ball this weekend. I don't know if you guys have watched any of the Slam Ball, other than when you've been on the beach at Sea Isle City yeah, and watched too intense. I couldn't follow it. And really. watch and watching a bunch of like probably stoned in their mid 40s guys think that they're reliving some sort of college hacky sack career that they never got going yeah i couldn't <laughs> really follow that like the pro slam ball guys it's too it's i can't too follow the amateur slam ball i have no idea what the hell people are doing with that that sport wait is that slam ball is that wasn't slam ball the the pat croce thing i think that was also called slam ball I thought I saw okay. it advertised as Slam Ball on ESPN 
you today when I was flipping. I was actually waiting to see Jenny Finch pitch. They did some of the 2001 uh, softball World Series, uh, which if you never watched Jenny Finch pitch, I remember watching it when it was happening and being uh, out of my mind, A, in love with Jenny Finch, and B, uh, you've never seen a screwball like that girl screwball. Um, I don't know. I'm more into. A, I'm more of a Cat Osterman. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, she was a hell of a pitcher too. Uh, but anyway, that's what I was waiting on. Um, but <laughs> I, you know, I had to go through like half an hour of this this slam ball, and it's it's just absurd. It's it's that thing where they put the trampoline in the middle and then they bounce a ball at it, and then I know like you you have to like go uh, my turn, your turn, but I have no idea how you score points. I have no idea what's going on. I just saw a lot last summer. I just remember sitting on the beaches in uh, uh, in North Carolina and being like, "What are these toolboxes doing with like the <laughs> bouncing around?" Like, dude, like I'm in bad shape, but you're in worse shape than me. There are things that are flapping that should what, not. Flap. What is like? What is the best in your opinion? What is the best beach game, Gene? Um, having your um uh hat over your face and napping is the best beach game um <laughs> at least for me i guess if if you have to do something i always preferred the people that would either throw the nerf football uh i felt like always felt like nerf sand football kind of was an equalizer because the fast guys were not nearly as fast on sand. Or, or you mean organized football uh, well you know you run a couple routes sure uh or I mean, like, very seriously, the all-time classic is the giant paddle and very small ball, like the paddle ball thing. Game. I always liked that game because that, that – I hated like, that game. I don't know why you hated it. It felt like it was too di- – I don't know. To me, it was difficult. Yeah. I also liked the, the very small soccer ball and then trying to juggle it back and forth kind of kind of thing. Yeah. I like any game – like, the throwing game. So, like, yeah. like washers or cornhole or, like – Ladder Not a lot ball. of movement or running involved. You can drink while you're doing it. Yeah, if I have to weigh in with the best beach game, I will go Nerf football. Nerf being the key. Don't be on the on the beach playing with the pigskin. Oh no, that's a new like, one. Nerf's too light though. The wind it takes the nerf. That's part of the fun though. Okay. Yeah. The, but if you get hit you're... with one of those damn – because people, like, miss it constantly. If you get hit with one of those leather footballs um, on the yeah, beach, there rough. is nothing that's that rough. is more annoying. We have a football that's uh, – it's not Nerf, but it's not – it's like a Nerf fabric, but it's still uh, inflated. Yeah, sure. Uh, oh, yeah, we have one of those as well. That, that'd be perfect. Yeah, that's, that's a fun – because you can get wet. Yeah, that's the key. That's issue. the other key, yeah. Anyway, what about wiffle ball? You like wiffle ball on the beach? I like wiffle ball anytime, any place, you know, because that's the only way I can throw like a knuckle ball. Yeah. Um, all you have to do is throw it ball, and it's a knuckle ball. Wiffle ball on the beach, I want the big wiffle ball, which I'm not normally a fan of, but the big like practice ball, wiffle ball, kind of like softball size one, that's the one I want on the beach. You probably don't feel it half a stand before you pitch it too. Yeah, <laughs> always cheating. Competitive <laughs> advantage, even hey. in uh, beach wiffle ball. Hey, speaking of cheating, uh, let's talk about uh, Long Gone Summer and um, the nineteen ninety eight home run race because we were we were actually all essentially living with one another yeah. uh, while this thing was wrapping up. So you know we mm-hmm. have we have some memory. Obviously, we have some memories of it. It's just interesting to see stuff that 
you know, we lived through and you're looking at it as like baseball history now. And, uh, you know, I basically forced my son to watch some of this so he could get some perspective on it. It's a two hour documentary, so he didn't stick around for the whole thing. But uh, it is interesting to see something that we lived through really you know, it doesn't feel that long ago, but I, you know, I guess ultimately it, it is uh, as a part of baseball history and something that needs to be studied for, you know. So should we talk about our relationship to it before we talk about the documentary? Because I feel like I can be positive about that. I don't know if I can be positive about the documentary. Well, I think we should start <laughs> off. Yeah, I think we should start off and talk about kind of like what, where we were, what kind of state we were in as Philadelphia sport fans coming into this, you know, we had just came, come off of a, a 1993 world series appearance. Uh, and, you know, we're, you know, everyone's pretty optimistic going into 94 thinking like, Hey, well, you know, why can't these guys just do this again? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it did quite work out. So great. Where, I don't, how did the Phillies finish that season? They finished like in, we were in second place. Third, I think we were in third, but it wasn't that far back. But remember, do you remember who was leading the division at the time? Go Expos! The Montreal Expos actually probably had the best chance they would have had to uh, certainly be a playoff team and maybe win the World Series was the 1994 season. Uh, so That was a Pedro-led uh, team, right? Yeah, and I don't know if Vlad was there yet or not, but it would have been, been a very young Vlad Guerrero. Uh, that was a very, very uh, good squad. And, you know, it's one of those things where does that reignite uh, the Montreal fan base? Does do they never move? Uh, you know, probably that all still happened. Yeah, but... we were we were actually uh, in fourth place, twenty and a half games back. Yeah, no, Montreal was yeah. a really good team in ninety four. The Braves jumped into our division that year. Why are we Why are we starting in ninety four? Wasn't this home run race in ninety nine? Well, well, I know, but I only. But a lot of the the context around this is it it saved baseball. I, and I'm putting air quotes in there the, you know, this home run race in 1998 saved baseball because everyone was so upset about the strike shortened season of 94. It was like the first world series in 90 years that, that wasn't played or wh- whatever the, the statistic is. And everyone was really uh, just salty on baseball. People were saying, I'm never going to watch another baseball game again, but Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa saved us. Uh, from, from ruining a sport they saved us and i mean it's dripping with sarcasm everything you're saying dave but baseball really did take a wallop or at least it seemed to after after the world series wasn't played and it, it's hard to be objective from the philadelphia perspective because you know at, at the time we we were so poor. We, I joked when the season was canceled. It's like, woohoo! We get to hold on to our NL pendant, uh, NL pennant for one more year, because we were, had no shot. We were way out of it. But it just seemed like it was the opportunity football needed to really just take even more hold of the national dialogue. Now, I don't think. Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa save baseball. I think baseball would have saved baseball, but we certainly brought it back to the the national spotlight. I think I think baseball took you know front page headlines for the first time after the strike because of 
this home run chase. Maybe not front page, let's ESPN. You know, ESPN, even at the time, was becoming all football all the time. You know, it made baseball more relevant to ESPN and and that sort of thing. But yeah, yeah, I, I get it. I, and I, it was kind of that, you know, <laughs> baseball burned bright and hot that year. Um, but, you know, I don't know if anybody is currently now a baseball fan that would not have been had 1998 not happened. That's a great point. That's a great point. And it's hard for me to judge because I was a baseball fan. You know, a point I want to get into with the documentary later is, you know, they touch on Ken Griffey Jr. and his prominence at the time. You know, for a lot of us, this was this was supposed to be Junior's thing. You know, it wasn't supposed to be McGuire and Sosa. It was supposed to be McGuire and Ken Griffey Jr. And that goes back to 94 because he was on pace to break the record in 94. But as they, you know, they did say this, you know, a lot of guys get on pace um, at one point in a season. It's just, you know, can you continue it all the way through? Can you have 50 going into September um, and all that? But I think another thing that they touched on in the documentary that I really want to bring up is people didn't always want to see this record they didn't just want to see the record broken. They wanted to see it broken by someone they thought was worthy of breaking it. Well, and mm. it, and I don't know if you remember watching the HBO film, which is not a bad movie um, that was shot uh, shortly after this happened. That was the movie 61, uh, yeah. which is always the very beginning of everyone's DVD collection, because not only does it start <laughs> with a number, it starts with an asterisk. <laughs> So, if you're listening to this show, look over at your DVD shelf. If you alphabetize, I bet you it's right there at the front. Is that the first movie uh, in alphabetical order of all time? It's got to be. It's got to be. I mean, <laughs> even if you do it by, like, the word asterisk, it's still an A. Um, so, <laughs> but watching that movie, they really drive home the point. And I, I, I've always kind of wondered if it's not sort of over-dramatized by... Uh, certain aspects of it to make you feel like, oh, Maris had it really bad. And he did. Maris was not who people wanted to win um, to break Babe's record, well, especially considering he was up against Mantle, who was right. a god. He wanted Mantle to do it. A god amongst, uh, amongst uh, men. You know, he was already in the Pantheon while he was still playing. So, you know, that's a whole different thing. They were teammates. It was a whole kind of different thing. Uh, the interesting thing that they always talk about is that Maris was so stressed out from the home run chase that he was losing hair in chunks. As if that, uh, as if a man in his, like, mid-20s losing hair in chunks is indication of anything. Most of my bald friends have lost hair in chunks at some point. Um so Maris was 26 when he yeah. hit 61. Yeah, so, so. and I know that it was probably stress-related, but, uh, you know, I, and I, I obviously I wasn't alive in 1961. I have no idea how I would have felt in that race. But the the, the dialogue around the, the, the first time that this record got broken was always, we want Mantle to do it, and this guy Maris just shows up and spoils the goddamn party. Um, you know, and that's unfortunate. I, I like to think that, it was different in 98 that the race was much more of a, you know, a 50, 50, you know, thing, but, um, 
you're right. This was the record that everyone said, you know, it's not only does it need to get, you know, if it's going to get broken, it should only be broken by the right player. Like somebody who's going to yeah. have that record has to be worthy of carrying the record forward. And I think that the way that baseball history is like kind of panned out um, in the, in the, you know, era that has come after this you know, there wasn't any, you know, there was a certain amount of, yes, I think there there needed to be, a, you know, I understand where fans certainly can see that. Because if you had had the wrong person um, or somebody who had not been embraced by baseball fans, obviously it takes some shine off of, off of the number. Um, but, you know, I think that a lot of things that have happened in the last two decades have changed how baseball fans look at numbers. I really do. I know I uh, the way I approach baseball records is very different because honestly like in you know with a gun to my head I couldn't actually tell you what the actual number for the home run in a single season record is at the moment. Now if you had asked 11 year old me I would have known off the top of my head I probably could have told you the date that Maris did it. But yeah. I, like that's the thing is like by the time Bonds comes along the whole thing had just become to a certain point, like cartoon. I mean, you know it's Bonds, and you know it's over seventy, right? And you, and and at that point, I don't give a shit because I don't. I don't. It's it's not even real to and, me. <laughs> what's funny is I actually I thought it was Bonds, and I thought it was eighty one. Yeah, I but I don't know the number. It could be one hundred and fifteen. <laughs> I don't care. It's seventy three, right? Seventy three. Yeah, yeah but, but I mean, like that was the thing was like, and I knew where where McGuire's number was until it got until because it got you know it's bullshit, and that's and the thing. <laughs> And I don't know what is. I don't know what. And I don't know what. Wait, wait, real quick. Before we get into why it's bullshit, because that's going to be the majority of the show, I wanted to just touch on one thing Gene said real quick about the right guy breaking it. And hopefully it wasn't that way in 98. It was totally that way. Sosa was the wrong guy. Like, he wasn't supposed to be there. It was supposed to be McGuire or Griffey. And then as this season went on, it was do we really want Sammy Sosa to hold this record? Who is this guy? He he doesn't have the the resume Mark McGuire did. So I think, and and that that narrative actually got me rooting for Sosa more. <laughs> I was like, you don't want him to be the guy. I want him to be the guy. But I just wanted to touch on that before we get into the the roided up elephant in the room. I mean, we could probably spin that conversation into like a whole another direction with you yeah. know was Sammy Sosa outside of Chicago. Um, you know, widely accepted as someone worthy of holding this record, AKA, you know, was he quote unquote white enough to hold this record? Was he too, you know, the accent, the, the, um, the antics, the, you know, the bravado, you know, I know everyone kind of had a Ken Griffey, you know, he was the kid, this, the stamp of approval, like everybody loved. He was Griffey. a legacy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, Mark McGuire had the whole like Bash Brothers thing. So, you know, was was Sosa too Dominican for people's taste? Especially at the time, too, because as you're saying this, Dave, I'm thinking about the complexion, uh, no pun intended, um, the complexion of baseball then versus now. And now it's widely embraced that this Hispanic element in baseball 
that we have like the world baseball classic whenever they decide to play it at random intervals <laughs> where we're looking at Venezuela, where we're looking at, you know, the Dominican Republic where um, does Puerto Rico have their own squad or are they part they of do. USA? No, they, they have their own squad. Uh, I don't know. I think they have their own squad. I think they have their own squad, but it's, you know, Cuba and, and all these other places that we go, hey, this is part of our heritage, especially for when baseball faded in popularity. It's like, hey, the the, the Hispanic world, the Latino players are coming in. Like, we're welcoming them with open arms. I don't think it was the same thing in 98. I think in 98, it would have been like, is this still our game? You know, this is this still our game or is it, you know, baseball with the accent, you know, <laughs> baseball spelled with a uh, an O in the end or however it's spelled in, in Spanish. But it's I think now we look at, you know, Hispanic players as being like the, the heart and soul of baseball. You know, we, we think of it as almost a Hispanic game, first and foremost, or at least I do. And we think of the, the Japanese and the Korean and the Asian players as well. Part of this, you know, diversity in baseball that's natural. Back in 98, I really don't feel like it was that way. I felt like it was thought of as a white sport or a white and black sport. And yeah, we're bringing in some other players and okay, that's cool. But I don't think Sammy Sosa's Dominican personality I don't think he was going to be like Chooch. I don't think he's going to be like Carlo Ruiz, who everybody loved as, you know, his, his, you know, nationality was part of the reason we loved him. Well, and I you do, know, I think I it was do different remember there. if we, you know, we start talking about memories from 98. I do remember like a resurgence in the, the SNL, uh, Baseball Clemente, yeah, the, the Roberto Clemente baseball has been very, very good to me. Um, you know, done in a horrible accent, but you know, so that, that was there, that was in the air for sure. Well, and it's one of those things where you always bring in the elephant. Yeah. You, you always talk about, (laughs) you always talk about how, and we, we sort of alluded to this at the top about how baseball needed to be saved in 1998. Um, I don't necessarily think that this was the sort of thing that was generated from anything other than baseball itself. And I will I will say this at the time, I was a believer in the sort of thing that maybe baseball was. Uh, it, it was certainly had some sort of a there was certainly some sort of a hangover, a, a lingering effect from the strike. It's it's hard to look back in the world that we live in very specifically right now to look back and be like, we were so angry about about that. Um, but I, I think that there were people, and I think what ended up happening is you lost the casual fan, you know, the people that wanted to spend their entertainment dollar uh, in, in, a, in a different way. You would hear a lot of, you know, am I really going to spend that much money to take my family to the ba- to a baseball game? Don't you realize it's $10 to park at the vet? Um, it's 20 now, by the way. Um, but... The other people I think you lost were these people who are the what I will call like the the Uber fans or the or the purists who believed that they were stripped of something and and given a black mark in this long string of a book that they're keeping in their head mentally. I don't know if you guys have ever met these types of people. I'm sure you have. Uh, and I grew up with 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 
you know, a couple of my friends who are very much like this, who they just kept books and books and logs and logs of numbers of players and stats and wins and losses and could just rattle off to you at a drop of a hat and prided themselves on doing it like a party trick. I can tell you the World Series winners from 1920 till 1980, whatever year it happened to be at the time. Um, and when you have people that are so um, obsessed with this baseball more than any other sport is like just this long string, this unending, you know, like a decimal that doesn't end of numbers. And if you put a, a, a self-imposed black mark, you know, whereas when you're giving off your string of teams where all of you've got to say, well, in 1994, we didn't have a world. That, is, that pissed these people off. But Gene, but Gene, where first off, I love these circle of friends that you that you travel in that just like keep like stacks of of books of numbers and and playing stratomatic baseball and stuff. I love it. I uh, I was a big geek. <laughs> but like, where are they now? Like, I mean, it ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, we traded we traded uh, like one year of no. We missed the World Series, so we traded good sentiment. Um, to pick up the slack from that for a lifetime of this fucked up uh, Judas, 30 pieces of silver uh, bullshit uh, that now we have to kind of mentally account for or, uh, you know, uh, black out entire like an entire decade of records so i mean like i think ultimately baseball would have been best served you know it when you know if uh who, who was the commissioner Selig at the time yeah it, you yeah. know if he responded to the concerns earlier made a concerted effort to keep the game clean to keep the game pure and let it and let baseball speak for itself because to me you know, they say soccer is the beautiful game, but to me, it's baseball. Like, baseball is perfect. Stop with, stop messing with it. If you don't like mm -hmm. baseball, that's fine. You don't like baseball, but baseball in itself isn't the problem. So, you know, you're allowing these external things to come in and influence it. And ultimately, in the long run, greed is what's ruining baseball. And, and let's not talk present tense. We can get there, but uh, let's talk about in the past because because those numbers were sacred. Like you were saying, Gene, people had the record books, and I didn't know the I didn't know the people jotting everything down in notebooks. But I knew my grandfather, who just knew all the stats. It was part of being a baseball fan. You knew who won what. You knew how many Gold Gloves. You knew. You, you knew who hit how many home runs and what postseason and why somebody was called Mr. October and why somebody was called Mr. May, you know. And the great thing about baseball was the fundamentals of the game, they didn't change. And when the batters got better, so did the pitchers. And so you could really compare errors of baseball against one another. Yeah, there's always going to be that adjustment for – you know, Babe Ruth drank and smoked and other people worked out. You know, you fast forward 30, 40, 50 years, you, you have different workout regimens. But until the rampant steroid abuse, the, the comical steroid abuse 
numbers in baseball still meant things. And this season, this, this nostalgic 1998 home run race is the beginning of the end. It was, hey, McGuire broke the record, and so did Sosa, and then here comes Bonds, and does it even matter anymore? And it doesn't. It, it doesn't. It's, it was a different game. You know, juiced balls, juiced players. It's it just takes away from that one the, the purity aspect of it, Dave. Like you said, the beautiful game that you could sit down and go, is this player from the '93 Phils comparable to the '80 Phils? And then you don't have those conversation with the 2008 Phils. It's just you can't. Everything's been solid, right? And I, you know the. I got caught up in it too. Like we all did. Like everybody got caught up in it. Everyone wanted to see what would happen and, and we all wanted to see it happen. The the problem is is that we, you know, we the public, you know, we were just in college. Like, you know, we we had no idea that these guys were juicing. I mean, you look at them now and you're like, you know, human beings don't really look like that. You know, I mean, Mark McGuire is a mountain, but when, you know, when you look at him, when he played for the A's, I mean, he just didn't look like that. And you know, like something either. in his body, you don't look like he did in changed. 88. And then you look at him in 98 and honest to God, it looks like two completely different human beings. And you don't see guys that get into their mid thirties and suddenly look like, you know, something out of a comic book. Um, mm-hmm. And especially even looking now back, you know, I would say one of the biggest guys physically, you know, not only as a star, but physical stature in the game right now, as far as physique is Mike Trout. Mike Trout looks like he would get squished by. I, I was going to say, uh, you know, when I was talking to, to my family about it, I, I, I brought up um, uh, Judge. OK, yeah, sure. he's like he seems like the biggest like him and Stanton to me are like the biggest like rah, guys right. in, in baseball right now. And they, they, I mean, they're tall mm-hmm. and they obviously have power, but I mean, like McGuire just has this like incredible Hulk. Uh, they have muscles that I've not, I've not seen except in something that, um, that, that, that McFarlane would have drawn rather than bought, you know, at an auction. <laughs> that, that, that is funny that, you know, he was so he's, I didn't know he had that much money, man. Oh yeah, yeah. That, I mean he, spawn bills. Well, and then you know? he, you know, he he's, yeah. he he deva- he you know, I think what I heard famously is that he he sold some of his bigger pieces of his collection almost like he he had a sense that it was coming and he got he a lot of what he he had some of them but he had some real big pieces of like the Bonds era and he he divested oh, really? himself of some of those bigger pieces um you know in in time. So well, yeah. Yeah, good for good for him for jumping ship when he did. But I just want to touch on that point about the the build of McGuire. I mean, Bonds is the most comical, going from just like kind of fit dude to monster. But McGuire was big. He was one of the, like you said, the Bash Brothers. He was a built guy, and he reminds me more of what like a hockey player looks like now, where you see him on screen and go, oh, he's kind of a, a big guy. You see him in real life, go, oh, that dude's really big. Whereas with the Cardinals, he had this freaking like Lou Ferrigno neck muscles, <laughs> you know, like 
just bulging out of his body and go he was on an episode of the simpsons and the like the cartoon of him was grotesque <laughs> and like dave you said that we didn't know i think that we did it's or at least we joked about it heavily everyone was joking about how much these guys were juicing and just figured maybe we didn't figure it was actual steroids maybe it was just the creatine cocktail they're going down right, to, right. to gnc and just grab the the biggest container of uh muscle builder or whatever uh weight gain 2000 and really making it work for them but like we knew but we didn't you have that plausible deniability you know it's like when you joke about a rock star it's like oh this dude is constantly messed up and then they right. drive a heroin overdose and you're like oh no it wasn't funny I, the fact that that dude's constantly messed up yeah you know what i think i think it's in my night naivete uh i would assume that if they were on steroids they wouldn't be allowed to play yeah and i mean to a certain degree that that's kind of what i thought too was that I mean, this is professional baseball. You're not allowed to be on drugs on professional baseball. They've been telling me that at, in dare classes when I since the sixth grade. I know that professional baseball players who get on, you know, are on those videos that I watch in school. They certainly wouldn't want to have steroids in their body. Don't you remember watching like Lenny Dykstra on one of those videos telling you about how if you do steroids, you're going to develop breasts if you're a man? Because I remember that. I don't know. I didn't understand anything he was saying. And if the dude with his, with his mouth full of big league chew uh, was going to tell me that I was going to get boobs, hey, the dude likes to see boobs, not have boobs. Yeah. <laughs> the dude. Uh, you know, and it's... It, it, you know, I, I, you know I, we're not even getting into the documentary yet, just kind of talking about this thing and it's, you know, in the, the grander scheme of things here. But I look, you know, I, I go on baseball reference and I'm looking at single season home run record holders. And, you know, I don't know. There's just so many pictures of these guys that to me are ghosts from the past looking at this that you know, all like these guys have dedicated their lives to, to see these guys on the top. But let me just give you an example here. So Babe Ruth in 1927 hit 60 home runs, right? In 1921, he hit 59. Then in 1927, he hit the set, he hit the record. Uh, he had the record for 60 home runs. It wasn't until 1961 that Roger Maris hit 61 in a in a elongated season, right? More games, mm, were, the right. whole point of the asterisk, right? Then it took until 1998 for anyone to get 60 again, but fuck 60, we hit 70 that year, and and the yeah. year before he had 59. So somehow yeah, in then, one year, in one off season, he was able to increase his output by like 12. And between 1998 and 2001, 61 was eclipsed six times. But how many times has it been done, like, since? In the last 10 years, how many times has somebody hit 60? None. 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 The most recent person even on this list is Giancarlo Stanton with 59. 
How close did um Howard get? He, I don't. I don't. Howard was... tied for eleventh with fifty-eight. Fifty-eight. Yeah. Yeah. And there was talk at the time of like the Maris family goes, well, if Howard beats it, you know, we're going to consider that the true record. And, um, and I just remember thinking, I'm like, that's awesome. And I really hope we just burn all the drug tests from the time. <laughs> I'm not saying Howard ever did drugs. He didn't look like he did. He looked like McGuire pre-drugs. You know, I hope that in that time we weren't dealing with it, but yeah, no, nobody – it became an achievement again, whereas these juiced-up guys, it was – I mean, these guys have to be a good three home it, runs but... a game. Three home runs yeah. a game, like, on the regular. I mean, it just happened a lot. Yeah, and that, more. and that touches on a point that we um, – just a little inside baseball uh, to, to, to make a pun. Um, but we talked about this – topic very little before we started the show because we wanted to save it for the show but dave one thing you touched on was uh a friend of the show um you said oh we should have had him on because he's a a steroid uh, apologist and the difference of you know what steroids do and what they don't but both you and gene immediately mentioned recovery and stamina so you dave you touch on three home runs in a game that's that can be a byproduct of steroids because you go yard twice that next time at bat do you still have that strength like do you even attempt it do you attempt to shorten your swing do you attempt to you know or do you just you know hit a double do you is it a pop fly as opposed to going out i'm not a doctor i've never been on steroids i don't exercise um but The, the the sense that I get about steroids is that you always feel fine. Like you're always ready to work out more. Right? Isn't that yeah. what they do? They help you like be, you can work out and then the next day you can work out. Yeah, like you don't inject yourself and then go to bed and then wake up and suddenly there's muscles. Like you right, still right, right. have to. You still have to do work. Like you still have to physically develop. I mean, the thing is that by having these chemicals in you, uh, your body just is able to do more, be more, you know, all of the things that you sort of would, that would make it so appealing. Like you have the desire to do it. You see the results really fast. One of the reasons why people don't want to work out is because it physically, it sucks. You have a lot of, you're uncomfortable. And then you do this and you look down and you're like, I still look like a piece of shit. Like, why am I causing myself this agony to look like garbage? If I'm going to look like garbage, I'm going to go have a bag of chocolate chip cookies. So, yes, steroids will not help you put the barrel of the bat on the ball. That is true. Absolutely, 100%. But what I get the sense of is you wouldn't necessarily be able to hit it as far Mm -hmm. when you do. Well, and the other thing is the people that we're really looking at is Mark McGuire was uh, an all-world baseball player on his way to the Hall of Fame anyway. Sammy Sosa was an all-world baseball player on his way to the Hall of Fame anyway. Barry Bonds was in the – well, he just said Leaf have an MVP. Uh, Barry Bonds was an all-world player on his way – in the conversation for the greatest player of all time before all of this nonsense and all of those players were still ridiculously talented baseball players. Now, would they have hit, like, five seasons of 50? They still would have gone to the Hall of Fame. But instead of that, 
And like you were saying earlier, the real problem with baseball, the real problem with baseball going back to, to 1918 probably is greed. Every problem that you have in the game of baseball, you can track to the single of, the, of, of all the seven deadly sins. It is absolutely greed that is the deadliest sin in baseball. And you want to know what I think saved saved baseball? What I think saved baseball is Camden Yards. Yes. Oh, that's a great point. The Dave. revolution of the baseball park moving from stadium to park is the single most important thing that has happened to baseball in my lifetime. It's 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 had a bigger impact than interleague play it's going to have a bigger impact than expanding the postseason it's going to have a bigger impact than bringing the dh to the nl or whatever kind of hokey ass shit you want to do uh (laughs) pitchers can't be changed in an inning or whatever the ballpark experience uh, i think has had the uh an amazing impact like there's no teams that play on artificial turf in an outdoor stadium anymore and i think that is I mean, what a revelation that is. Well, think about just that, now being being in this COVID world that we, we, we exist in, watching old games. I've been watching so many old games. Sometimes I'll look at highlights and be like, are we in Three Rivers Stadium? Are we in Cincinnati? Are we in the vet? Like, you it really— doesn't matter. You, a, it doesn't matter. And B, you can't fucking tell because they look—they were literally the exact same place. And— and they literally could have po- possibly, if not ended careers because of how horrible the surfaces were, they may have actually killed people. <laughs> <laughs> the 700 level of the vet certainly did. We may have witnessed it. I mean, honestly, the next time I, I, I walk into Citizens Bank Park, uh, I'm going to be fighting back tears. Yeah, uh, I agree. I get emotional anyway the first First time I walk into a ballpark, uh, you know, I start the season just because I think the site of a, of our park is beautiful. The the skyline, yeah. the the freshness, the the atmosphere, the smells, the sounds, I, I absolutely love it. It's such a different experience than when we, we used to walk into the vet. Yeah, and see the, 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 the artificial turf and concrete everywhere. Yeah, the vet. You almost had to bring your own romance. You had to bring your yeah. own like affection for the game you you'd have to have some relationship to baseball some desire to enjoy it whereas a good night at citizens bank i'm not even talking about the party in the crowd i'm talking about the sight lines i'm talking about like you said dave when you can really see and smell the fresh grass and Every seat's a good one. Every seat's a good one at the Citizens Bank, unless you're at the very tippy top. But you feel like you're part of the game. And that romance of baseball, that is, I mentioned my grandfather before, this is what people grew up with. This is how they experienced the game before. It wasn't watching it through binoculars at the 700 level and having, if you don't follow, needing someone to explain it to you. It was just there. It was in front of you. You can enjoy it. And I know all of us had the Fenway experience of where we watch games at the vet. We didn't know any better. And we go up and see one game in Boston. And you're like, whoa, this is a night and day difference. Sure. And then Camden Yards comes around. And you're, that's a wonderful point, Dave. That, that for me, it saved my 
um, you know, experience going out to the ballpark. I if I I'd happily go see a bad Phillies team with good company on a nice summer night. Now, like to me, that is earned love. Like that is something that baseball did that earned fans love. This steroid era, wh- what did you get? What did you? What did ultimately you get out of this? You borrowed headlines on the national evening news. You borrowed fans that didn't care about your sport before and don't care about it now. And they just got caught up in that hype of that year or that season or that home run chase. And now where are they? And now where are you? And now I got to look at this fucking list of all-time greats and see smug-ass Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and Rafael Palmero and and all these known cheaters uh, smiling back at me next to you know, these haunting images of Babe Ruth and Jimmy Fox and Ted Williams looking back at me. And, you know, what am I supposed to think? What are the kids supposed to think? (laughs) I, I don't, it's, it's tough. It's, and we have these, these people, you, you call them smug assholes and they are, but these are record holders. These are history of the game. You know, right now we're, we're people are tearing down Confederate monuments and going, well, how will people ever learn the history? And, you know, I, I think we all agree. That's pretty bullshit argument, but there's real history to be commemorated in the baseball hall of fame. Maybe these guys don't get busts or plaques or whatever the case may be. Maybe they get a wing. Of the steroid era, and congratulations, Barry Bonds, you're in the Hall of Fame, but not the way you wanted. It's, <laughs> it, it's just, it, it's just such a black eye, and it's, it's any time you get greedy, it's, it's the story of the, you know, the guy who gets away with a crime and doesn't stop. You know, it's like you, you pull off the perfect bank heist. You can retire a millionaire and you go for one more and one more and one more and one more. Apparently, I thought this was a relatable analogy, <laughs> but it's not. Maybe it's you, you, you learn to fib. Maybe you, you cheat on a test. Oh, there we go. Here's a relatable analogy. You don't read the book. You read the cliff notes and you go next time I'm going to read the book. You don't. Read the book. Read you, you read the cliff notes, and then you finally get the the one professor, the one teacher that goes, "I know exactly what's in the cliff notes. I'm basing the test around everything else." And you fail spectacularly. That's what baseball was doing. It was just going, "We won't get caught. We won't get caught. We won't get caught." You get caught, and here's a good decade of baseball down the drain. Right. Well, let's actually talk about the documentary. Um, I'll let Gene start. Gene, why does well I have a question for Gene before we start? Yes. Gene, what happened to Sammy Sosa? And why does he have a gigantic picture of himself and his family (laughs) depicted as clowns in his house? I mean, Sammy Sosa was always sort of uh like the (laughs) lovable, like he was the, the 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 entertainment. You know, Mr. Entertainment, uh, you know, when he was a player, 
I, I don't know what's happened to him. I will say uh, I'm waiting anxiously for that episode of uh, of Botched on E! Entertainment where we find <laughs> out um, what they've done to correct whatever work he's had done. Um, I mean, he, he looked... He looks so made up. Uh, I thought he was going to get up and then go lay in his coffin after he was done. Like <laughs> the guy looked like he has, he doesn't, you know, keep stylus. He keeps morticians, um, you know, right along with like the, the, the boutonniere sort of flower. Like that's the sort of thing that like you feel like, okay, Sammy, thanks. We're going to close the lid now. We're good. <laughs> have, a, have a nice nap. Welcome to the room. Sammy Sosa, apparently. And I, like, and very honestly, like, I, I liked Sammy Sosa then. I like Sammy Sosa as a person now. Um, you know, he's lumped in as far as I'm concerned with the rest of the gang. You know, like, nobody gets a pass here. Uh, but man, oh man, like, in particular, I mean, he, the court he looked bat, ridiculous. I mean, the guy is just shady. Yeah, yeah, and I, and honestly, like, I, to a certain degree, like, I'm more pissed off. I've always been more pissed off with him in particular about the goddamn bat than I was about anything else because that was I mean, so egregious. And using a cork bat. Like, what is wrong with you? Come on. And he got bigger from '98. Like yeah. that was something that jumped out to me from the documentary. Yeah. Was seeing the 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 pictures of him in '98. Go, oh, well, he looked like a normal human being. Yeah. And very shortly thereafter, by 2004, he didn't. No, like he he looked like a monster like everybody else. So I'm like, oh, is this like his first or second season really juicing? You know, and uh, in, in my head, he was just like you know the same build as Maguire, but he wasn't at the time. He he was that more slender build, like Bonds pre junk. You know. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Gene, take us through. The, you're, you, were the, you were kind of the most fired up when we logged in tonight. So. Well, I, I will say that as, I, as I, I had just kind of come right from watching the doc up here. And in all fairness, and you guys said that they do sort of address the, the, of the thing they really didn't address in the entire documentary really was the steroid use uh, in, until the last 10 minutes. I, I, I didn't, you know, use my time well. Um, and I, I didn't get quite through the last bit of the thing. But honestly, I don't know that it would have changed my opinion about this whole thing. Uh, the thing that really irritated me about this documentary was that I don't think that they remember the era quite the way that I do. Or they remember an era as if the steroid era didn't happen. This documentary would have been really great had none of that ever happened. And we could all look back fondly. And Mark McGuire was still the, the home run champion at 70. And that was still a mythic number. The problem is that is not what happened. That is not how the rest of time played out. And to look back on this through like rose colored glasses the same way that we look back the way Billy Crispel looked back on it um, in his movie it seems disingenuous to to celebrate it and have Bob Costas come on and 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 be his Costasy self and and really it just it it made it seem like completely like it was a you know this is like the fantasy uh, version of this story as if like had had we watched the, the the you know the the Technicolor version of of an old movie like yeah you know this is technically what happened you know this is technically the movie that got made but we're gonna put all of these weird colors on everyone everyone's gonna be wearing lime green suits and be a shade of peach instead of human. Um, and so that's kind of the the thing that got spit back out at us is look how great 
1998 was. And remember how much you loved watching these two uh, behemoth, uh, steroided up uh, giants smash home runs into the night sky? What, didn't that make you so happy? Uh, yeah, but then guess what? If I wasn't a fan of baseball at the time, uh, it's amazing that I am now because you ruined everything that I liked about baseball by allowing these monsters to come on and and take up and gobble up all of the records so that now, uh, eventually, there's going to be somebody who legitimately hit 62 home runs and he's going to be like in fifth place on the list because you let a bunch of cheaters come along and ruin everything. And that makes me so angry that they didn't take the perspective of, you know, this was the beginning of the era that ruined, truly ruined baseball. And to start to really dispel the myth of 1998 says baseball and and actually start to tell the truth that 1998 almost killed baseball. Because, yeah, you yeah. brought your fans back, but then you, in order, like, in order to have them, what you had to do was then make everybody so much more angry than they were in the first place by revealing that it was all fake it was all made up it's like when you're nine and the first time somebody tells you you know when you love hulk hogan and you walk into school with your hulkamania bandana <laughs> on and some motherfucker in the fifth grade goes hey you know what wrestling's fake what what do you mean it's fake no they're not that they, they they it's all written down they know who's going to win before before the match even starts and then you find out that that's true yeah. See that that, that's that a to great me analogy. that to me is what 1998 was. I bought in. I believed the script. I believed the hype. You had me totally sold that these guys could really hit that. You know that that humanity or something in the game had really changed, and that this could be the new normal. Yeah, it was the new normal because drugs had gotten that much better. Uh, you know, yeah. we're not going to see these records broken until they let robots play now. <laughs> listen, listen, little brother, I'm with you. No, I was when I was watching the documentary and uh, and you know when they showed McGuire hitting that sixty second home run, I I you know I leaned back and I was thinking to myself I was like my God, this is when everything changed, like everything is different now when it comes to baseball, right? Yeah, I I, I I'm with you there that. The the documentary was hard to watch. Like if you shut off your brain, if you didn't know what happened, like if if you were completely unaware of the nineteen ninety eight season and all the things that surrounded it and would come later, it was pretty damn enjoyable. It was like, hey, uh, here's this romantic summer story of this great chase that you weren't expecting. Um, it also features. You know, 4K video randomly from, and that will have like here's a sh here's a shot of Chicago that's clearly present day, but for some reason you say April 1998. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's fine. Hey, look here's here's a crowd shot from something that was clearly taken like last year, <laughs> but but that's neither here nor there, but. We joked that it was the last 10 minutes. It was no more than the last 20 minutes of the documentary. A two-hour documentary that, that, that went through, honestly, the last two months of the season. Like, the, the, 
so let's say we'll be generous and say it was the last 20 minutes that touched on steroids. So that leaves us an hour 40, um, not including commercials, an hour 40 for the rest of it. And of that hour 40, at least an hour, probably maybe even hour 10, hour 20 was on August and September. And yeah, it was a fun ride, but you're not telling us the whole story. And you get a little of the background, but it's just this this nostalgic build, and you have George Will and and, and uh, Costas and any number of other people going wax, waxing nostalgic of this great run, and they even make they even talk about it's like, well, this was before steroids came in. Like there was a line that said this was before steroids came in, before they talk about it, and. You know, it was probably framed differently. They probably weren't saying steroids weren't involved, but maybe they're talking about our enjoyment of it. It's just so hard to go, here's a love letter to a season, and then find out it's all fake. You know, it would be a hour, 40-minute documentary on Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant and how it was a tremendous feat that Hulk Hogan defeated Andre the Giant. And then they go, as it turns out, wrestling's fake. We didn't know that. We didn't know that that it re- Hogan and Giant had it really scripted. Yeah, you know? I, I guess that was kind of my point. My, my main, like, I thought that the documentary did a great job of taking you through what it was like in the summer of 1998. You know, like, cutting in from other shit to watch batting practice like you would net like that never happened before like who cares about you know i mean like it was such a thing that like got everyone so wrapped up in it i mean and even i forgot about the throngs of crowds you know that were coming out to see this stuff so i mean it did a Mm -hmm. great job taking you through like this is what it was like i don't know what the documentary was trying to say I have a theory like, on what the documentary what was trying, was trying to, to I, I have a theory on what the documentary was, was trying to say. What, what the documentary was trying to say is, see, you need to be, you know, a little more forgiving. Mark, Mark McGuire, he, he loves baseball. You should be a little less mean to Mark McGuire. Look at all the joy he brought you. Don't you want to? Don't you want? Oh, really? Don't you want to go and see his bus? And Sammy Sosa wore big, ridiculous glasses, and he was so lovable. <laughs> they were gonna hug each other. Don't you want to see that in 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 you know in a in a Hall of Fame near you? Don't you know? They never did anything I don't bad. Know. They could have done more. They like, never did anything bad were... about baseball. They didn't gamble on baseball. Come on. If that were the point. There's much more compelling, like they didn't even get into, you know, home run rates or like home runs per at bats and compare them to other Hall of Famers or anything like that. I even saw, you know, Joe Giglio uh, tweeted something this week that Mark McGuire deserves to be in the Hall of Fame and got basically just got eviscerated on Twitter about, <laughs> you know, hot take, just saying bullshit for listens, like delete your account, which by the way, we got to talk about Angela. Uh, <laughs> um, so I don't know if that, were, if that's what they were trying to do, I don't think they did a great job. I, I mean, I think they, they were trying to maybe not specifically put them in the hall of fame, but, right. but certainly try and get you nostalgic around the steroid era. Um, 
you know, it, it's sort of like an opening salvo to, you know, there was some good things then, you know, I, I have such a bitter taste in my mouth from all of that because I feel like such a fool. I feel like such a sucker. You are a fool, though. Because that, well, yes. But, like, don't, like, put up a sign in form. You know, I mean, like, I know I do dumb shit. Like, I don't need to be reminded. Um, the, you but, know. <sighs> but, but it was one of those things where it was, like, you know, by the time Barry Bonds comes along, like, I was already cynical. Like, you know, there was no, and I don't remember how you guys were, but there was already a, a pretty, you know, the content, it would be hard to do a documentary on Bonds and not have that be, like, the, they didn't even attempt to put this particular story in the context, the actual context of baseball history. And the actual context of baseball history is this was the beginning of the end, not the resurrection of something great. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah, what they I didn't do. They they didn't put it into because we know that that is the proper context now. They're putting it in 1998 context. In 1998, we thought this saved baseball, but now we are uh, we we have the the ability to look back 2020 and being like, you know what? Yeah, I was mad in '94 that there was no World Series. But you know what's what really pisses me off is the fact that the steroid era happened and the fact that it was already happening in 1994 and then I didn't know about it then and I didn't know about it sooner and that they could have stopped it way before it got out of hand like this and then well, it was happening before the strike too yeah I mean, and that's what and that's exactly what I'm saying is it's it happened it, it was happening during the bash brothers era like they could have like it could have been stopped they you know and I could have there could have been an actual home run race you know what I mean like it could have actually happened it could have been real and, I'll tell you and what, that's the thing that drives wanna, me crazy. Yeah, if you want to watch, if you want to watch athletes on steroids, uh, you need to watch MTV's The Challenge. Yeah, that's about the last bastion of steroid sports. I mean, well, I, the other argument that I've heard about '98 all the time is like, well, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were both on steroids. Like the race was legit. Like you know they, were at, both, they were both, they were both roided up. Like, I'm, I'm even, I don't know. I'm even softening my stance on steroid era players like being in the hall of fame in the context of this is the steroid era and like quote unquote everybody was doing it um i just don't want them to hold records right like I, i'm even okay i'm okay with a steroid wing or like this was the era of juice ball and steroids or you know however you want to frame it um but i just can't I cannot abide by Barry Bonds or Mark well, Levar or Sammy Sosa owning the single season home run record. I just can't do it. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. And, it, you know, you think about what you hear from Bonds' friends and family was that he was sitting at home watching this home run race, furious, knowing that these guys were juicing. And, you know, I imagine you don't go from zero to 100 overnight so maybe he was juicing a little but it's like oh maybe we we all had a gentleman's agreement only to do it a little bit and he's just watching mcguire out there as the incredible freaking hulk and going like this is this was not supposed to be the deal because bonds went all in you know some comedian had the joke about barry bonds like his head grew your head doesn't grow in your 30s like you don't have a growth spurt in your brain like it's so the idea that he being this competitive guy that he was going like, 
yeah, they're juicing. I want to juice and I'm going to juice better than anybody who ever did. You know, I do have some sympathy for that, but it's it's still all tainted. It's we're, we're painting with a, a very broad brush there. From what and, I go on, Dave. from what I gather, the guy that the guy from that era or the guys from that era that seem to be clean and have an axe to grind against those that did it dirty. Um, most notably, I believe it's Frank Thomas. Was he actually clean or just happened not to get caught? Well, I mean, like, right. You never know. Right. But, yeah. um, but by all accounts, I think he's been pretty outspoken about like, you know, it, you know, if, if I were if I were on steroids, I would have hit, you know, however many. And, well, and, and he was like a 35, 40, mid 40s guy throughout his sort of career. And he was more of your prototype DH masher, lots of strikeouts, lots of home runs sort of guy who we sort of still see in the game. There is a certain archetype for a guy like Frank Thomas. So I, I tend to believe that if he because if he was doing steroids, he was really bad at it honestly because yeah uh, and the other guy to me is jim tomey from that and that's another yeah. guy that had the same thing if you look at tomey's numbers like you know 45 you know bre broaching 50 but i don't think there was any point in tomey's career where he was going to these are the guys 50. these are the guys that are on the 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 record list for career home runs these are the over 500 guys but they don't show up on that single season uh, list because they have a track record of longevity, you know, the ability to do it year over year and don't just suddenly spike up into this arena all of a sudden. Well, and that's the the, the other problem is like for the career home run record now, you're going to have to play so many years at such a high level without the ability, well, without the ability to have that sort of recovery. You know, when you're going to be 38, 39, 40, you need the steroids just to be able to to continue to be able to play every day. And I think the most telling part of the documentary, and I don't know if this was in, included intentionally as a, this is what steroids were doing at the time, or it was more of like a, let me show you like a real hero moment. And I think now you know what I'm going to talk about. But one of the most interesting people that they interviewed, and I thought that everything that he said was so, such an insight as to what was actually happening at the time was, and 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 of weirdly, I've always been a fan of this this guy. I've always been a LaRusa fan. I've always thought that he was a great person to listen to about baseball. He just literally like oozes or has like this 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 aura of the game around him. And he was telling the story about how uh, I guess uh, it was like the second to last game of the season and after um McGuire I think had a two home run lead going into the last game of the season and he came off the field and said to LaRusa, "I've got <laughs> nothing left." I can't play tomorrow. You cannot write me onto the lineup card. Like, I can't play tomorrow. And LaRusso looked at him, and they've known each other for decades at this point. They're practically family because LaRusso was his manager in Oakland. And LaRusso says, Mark, I I'm going to put you down. I if you don't play tomorrow, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. And I'll, but I'll protect you. If it looks like you're going to collapse, I will pull you out of the game. Because Larusa probably looked had seen players he had been in the deck in, in the in the league thirty years at that point, who were at that breaking point physically, so he knows what it's going to look like, and what does McGuire do? He comes out the next day and hits 
two more home runs, two more monster home runs. So a guy who at 10 o'clock the night before is so exhausted, he doesn't want to play on the last game, comes out and not only... You know, and 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 push, pushes the number to seventy, and I think that they included that to be like, what a hero, what a guy, what a man to go out there, <laughs> in as low as he felt, and smash two more meaningless home runs. <laughs> but what it really told me is he probably went home, filled that beaker or that 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 syringe to the tippy fucking top. <laughs> And shoved him in both of those gigantic forearms so that he could go out and not look like a fool. That's, that's the Herb Brooks speech that you don't expect to, to hear. Now, Mark, they're not saying you can't go another day, but I got faith in you. I know you can go home and you fill up that syringe like you never did it before and you punch it into both ass cheeks. And you go out there like Popeye on four cans of spinach. So, Gene, you brought up you brought up the career home run record and, and like how many years at like what level are people going to have to play? So Babe Ruth, you know, home run record ended in night, you know, he ended his career in 1935. So then obviously Hank Aaron uh, is the next owner of the crown who ends his career in 1976. So what what did we wait uh, waited forty one years to get a new home run champ, and then Bonds ends his career in 07. Uh So you have another basically forty years or so, uh, and now we look at active home run leaders. You know who is the leader? You guys know like the top three or whatever. The top three in current. Uh... Yeah. God, you have to think about who's been in the league for a long time. Um, I, I a little, little trivia. God, I, uh, I I don't. I mean, um, oh God, who's guy uh, went from uh, St. Louis? Yeah, you to... got it. Yeah, you got it. Oh, it's Albert, blank. Albert Pujols. Is he technically Pujols. still in the league? Yeah, he's yeah, he is. He's uh and he's hitting he has 656 home runs. Um so yeah, my, number my 2 is Miguel Cabrera with 477 say, yeah, and number in... 3 is Edwin Encarnacion at yeah. 414. And those guys so, all felt like they've been around for like god ever. Pool holes to get there would probably and now he started in 01. So this will you know he's coming up on 20 years in the league. Um, he's going to have to play, <laughs> I don't know, probably eight more seasons. <laughs> and he hasn't been any good for like five. I mean, he's only hitting like 20 home runs a year now. Yeah. And I mean, and he certainly isn't playing every day. But to, to double back to the steroids, uh, imagine his career on steroids. Right. Imagine. You know, the uh, oh, he'd have to play eight more years. Like on the uh, on roids, you'd be like, sure, get some blood doping in there, some HGH. You yeah. know, you can get it all now. Yeah, and his high water year is was forty seven home runs. Yeah, that's that's crazy, and that's human. That's 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 what a fantastic you know feat by yeah. a normal human being. So well, a couple I mean, more things. All things. Yeah, a couple more things about the doc that I wanted to talk about before we before we wrap up. Um, 
it, it is astounding to me how many times Mark McGuire tried to do the uh, heart uh, pound finger <laughs> kiss uh, yeah. sign thing that Sammy Sosa did uh, in the most like white way possible. <laughs> I was just like, please, Mark, stop doing it. Please yeah. just stop doing just, it for me. Your own thing is perfectly fine. You can throw that half upper, uppercut better than anybody in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was one observation I had. Um, what else? Anything else jump out at anyone? Oh, I, I bet you can imagine one thing that irritated me. The what? love fest for... The city of St. Louis and how great their fans oh, yeah. are. Oh, my God. Have you ever talked to a oh. card? The Cardinals fans. It's the greatest fandom in the history of fandoms. <laughs> Jesus well, here's Christ. Another thing. So the induction of Mark McGuire into the Cardinals Hall of Fame. You played there for four years. <laughs> this brought back to me like shades <laughs> of like Roy Halladay and, and how we feel about the Phillies Hall of Fame. Uh, would you embrace the mark like if mark mcguire spent those four years in philly instead of st louis and did the things that he did for philly would you want him in the phillies hall of fame in the phillies hall of fame i would say he 100 would be right <laughs> we have that conversation Mike, i mean mark's son would be like, right. just like the phillies are like give me a reason and i'll put you in the hall <laughs> I'd say yes for team Hall of Fame. Um, I don't know if we're adjusting it for steroids, which McGuire never really admitted to. So yeah, it's oh, yeah, like, yeah, every no, no, I'm saying like in the documentary, he didn't really oh. talk about it. Um, like he acknowledged it, but like Sosa's right. like, like, yeah, I did. Everybody's doing it. What do you want me to do? But, I feel like um, Bonds and McGuire have been the ones that are like the most notoriously like clearly you were, and the two of them that are like, uh, I mean, like really, do you really think that I would have, you know, you know, the guy, my guys told me it was fine. You know, they told me it was okay. Well, that was McGuire. <laughs> so McGuire did talk about it in the documentary, and he basically was like, "Yeah, I just thought it was like recovery." Yeah, and he was like, and I asked them to come on TV and say that it was cool, and then they didn't. And I've been like, that well, should that have was been the Andro stuff. Right? I, well, that would have been like yeah. red flag number one is if they're not willing to defend their product, it's probably shady. <laughs> <laughs> because if they really had figured something out, don't you think they wanted what every motherfucking guy who is? And I've dropped a lot of the bad ones today. I'm sorry. Um, well, <laughs> passionate subject for you. Uh, but don't you think they would have like wanted it to be on C-SPAN and CNN and every channel ever so that? you could show up and they could sell it to, to every like you know guy who goes to some weekend soccer league could show up like looking like mark mcguire like of course if they had found that magic thing i, I like that i like that on c-span like like we're breaking from the senate to talk to mark mcguire's back alley drug dealer <laughs> Well, I mean, like, that was the whole thing was, like, that that's where these guys finally got their platform was when they could, sp like, speak at, at, like, congressional hearings because Congress wanted to clean up baseball before baseball did. Look how well Congress did with that. Like, Congress can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's 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 wrap this up. Are you guys are you guys 
juicers in the hall or no hall of fame gene no 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 <laughs> i mean like no. i will i will say like it does like you know it sucks that like the single season home run record holder is not there the career se- uh home run record not there the the hit leader not it's like the holy all of the the holy numbers are not are not represented in the hall of fame that yeah, is I mean, you so also have a 300 win pitcher that's not there. It's ridiculous. You know, it's 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 so absurd that you know, in three generations, when we're all gone, and this stupid movie is all that's here to talk about 1998, you know, <laughs> my great grandkids are going to be like, my stupid great grandfather didn't put Mark McGuire in the Hall of Fame. Like, I have a vote. Uh, you know, he didn't put Mark McGuire in the Hall of Fame. That you know, should have been Gene, the. We keep this trajectory. The, might get a vote. The, yeah. This this. It's just ridiculous, but you know, well, trust me. If if I'll write it down somewhere and leave it in a in a in a in a safe right next to my career home run records that I I don't want anybody to know about, um, and 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 somebody will find it after I'm long gone and be like, oh, he he. And this podcast isn't going anywhere, man. That's true. It's this digital. this this is my my record. This, this is a living record. This is my this is you know for generations to come, they'll be able to look back on this and be like. Oh, that that was Gene, an error. While, I mean, like while we're at it, is there anyone you want to like put on record who you want to leave your Stratomatic baseball cards to, or uh, your binders of statistics? <laughs> <laughs> well, those Stratomatic cards are going to be worth a lot. They're already worth a lot, um, and mine are just writ- handwritten out on on index cards, and it's, the stats are probably not even right. Um, you know, I would say that my Stratomatic cards, my father's um, legal pad play-by-play versions of the Super Bowl, they can all go, uh, I would think, to the Smithsonian at that point. They will want them. So um, as far as museums go, I feel like they're the ones most likely to put it in that American one right next to the Fonzie's jacket. But give a little the Smithsonian. Yeah. Yeah. Fonzie's jacket, Archie Bunker's chair, which that need, like, talk, talk about Garland's uh, slippers. Talk about something that needs to be like burned in effigy. Archie Bunker's chair. Um, but yeah, put put all <laughs> well, that it's in a museum where it belongs. Right, right. It's not, put it's a statue and then put my index cards and my dad's stuff. Put it right in there somewhere so that people can come. By. And, you know, every year you can kind of like swap <laughs> them out, you know, like, oh, it's the 1986 Super Bowl. That one was great. Um, but that, that would be where I put not in the Hall of Fame. Don't put it anything where near that corrupt organization um, who doesn't who won't put in cheaters. So we're going to call that a no. <laughs> I'm a hard no. A hard no. A hard no. <laughs> also, real quick, Archie Bunker was a satirical character. I mean, that's another show entirely. I just want to think like what? They had a racist on TV just to have a racist on TV. I didn't understand comedy as a child, uh, so I thought it was a drama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, and, if, and if, you, if, and, if, if you watch that show as a drama, trust me, it's a whole different thing. Slice and of Gene, life. And Gene's breaking down, like, slurs per 30, you know, <laughs> racism above replacement. Uh, <laughs> I, would, I would say yes, put him in the hall, different colored plaque, do something just go hey you're getting in you're getting in your own separate wing you're getting in with a huge freaking you know backlit blinking asterisk but get in the hall let's just stop the conversation these are all-time record holders they should be in there they should be recognized it's all we have right now just 
<laughs> I'm talking about baseball. I'm not talking about 2020. Um, it's all we have is is what they did. Bring them in so that if we have somebody who hits 62 clean, or at least reasonably expected to be clean, they can they can be in the good section of the hall, or they can appear without the asterisks or on the right colored plaque just do do something to let them in but but set them apart that's kind of where i'm at like let them in but in without enshrinement if that makes sense like (laughs) you should get the honor yeah we'll put you on the jedi council but we won't grant you the rank of master and this is why i think like we got to because we're i don't want to like revisit it but like our <laughs> childhood like we we are the generation that doesn't get to see our players get to go into the hall of fame like the That's great players point. from our you know i don't know formative years don't get to go into the hall of fame because of this and i mean like i've come to accept that uh but it's just a shame for us, which is why I really want to see like Jimmy Rollins go in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So, all right, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, if you haven't done so already, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, uh, check us out on social media: Facebook, Twitter, uh, where Angelo Cataldi no longer exists, uh, or and Instagram. Um, we'll be back next Monday with a new show. Not really sure what we're going to talk about, but it's going to be it's going to be great. It's going to be a good time. You're going to want to definitely make sure you check it out. So have a great day at work, everybody. We're out of here. <laughs> <laughs>